well as his time on the Supreme Court of Texas. I hope I, I'm trying to remember things, and I don't know if I can remember them all or not. Last Sunday I was in a church in uh, uh, Palm Beach, uh, Florida, and there were three or four hearing aids going off around me as though a lot of uh, senior citizens that were <laughs> present. And uh, the minister told of one man whose name was uh, uh, Sam, who was 85 years old and very thirsty. He was still in robust health, and he loved to play uh, golf, but his eyesight was beginning to uh, fail him. And uh, although he could drive the ball a long way on the golf course, he um, had difficulty in seeing it. And so the minister suggested that uh, Bill, who was another senior citizen in their congregation who was 90, but still read the newspaper without the benefit of his glasses, had very good eyesight, had uh, inherited it, and that uh, Bill might go along and, and watch the ball and that they could uh, be together. And so they went out on the first tee, and uh, Sam uh, uh, teed up the ball. He could see it there on the tee, and he really swatted it, and it went 250 yards down the fairway, and he turned to... Uh, uh, Bill, his companion who was 90, and he said, did you see it? And he said, yes, I saw it perfectly. And he said, where did it go? Bill said, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I get that thing sometimes in my sermon. Now, the, if you have your bulletin, you can look at uh, the scripture which we have this is the first sunday in lent for those of you who are non-liturgical people uh, lent is something which came in down through the centuries of the christian church and has been observed um, at greater and shorter length at various times in history actually the word lent simply means spring it means the coming of spring and because the coming of spring is associated with easter and and uh, holy week uh, this became a time in which Christians uh, have sought to uh, prepare their hearts especially for a remembrance of what our Savior did for us uh, on the cross and of his great resurrection. One of the traditional scriptures that's read uh, on this Sunday in uh, Lent, the first Sunday in Lent, is the account of the temptation in which our Lord Jesus uh, begins to, to uh, enter into the work of his uh, kingdom and is already conflicted by uh, Satan in this unusual and powerful encounter. This is from Matthew uh, chapter 4 verse 1 following. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him in the holy city and stood him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, 
he will give his angels charge concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this important reading from his word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for its privilege and opportunity of worship and pray that you will help our minds and hearts to be enriched through this experience, uh, that during this precious time of the year we may draw closer to you and stay close to you. And we do indeed praise you for gifts of mercy to members of this congregation, and we seek for them your benediction and love. We pray that you will also accept these gifts which we bring and use them to the purpose glorifying your Son. And we pray that you will make the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts to be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I want to make a, an announcement we forgot a moment ago. Uh, that is that on this Wednesday in chapel, the Merck family sisters uh, uh, will be here in Gaither Chapel for the chapel program. I heard them last Wednesday night at the Billy Graham Fort Lauderdale Crusade. Uh, they, uh, they were televising that particular uh, taping it for television and it'll be rebroadcast in May or be broadcast in May, but they were singing there for about 20,000 people, and uh, they're a very gifted uh, and talented family. You will enjoy uh, hearing them this uh, Wednesday in Gaither Chapel, and then again on Wednesday evening at prayer meeting, which will meet here in the chapel uh, at that time. I would also appreciate your prayers for me. I have to make a journey tomorrow um, out to Tulsa, Oklahoma. I will be speaking on Tuesday morning at Oral Roberts University at the combined uh, chapel of the graduate school and the student body. There are more than 4,000 people in that chapel, and that's a little formidable task for me, so I would be grateful for your prayers for that occasion. Um, I also hope to get to stop off in Dallas and see my mother uh, before we get back home. Uh, now then, I want us to look back to this passage of Scripture, which is so important for the observance of Lent. And it says, 
if you will recall the beginning, you remember we were speaking just a few weeks ago from the minor prophets, and I didn't able, wasn't able to spend a great deal of time with Malachi, but I wanted to point out some things that are very important from that remarkable book because Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, and it begins to set the stage for the appearance of the Lord when he comes uh, to inaugurate the Messianic kingdom. Uh, Malachi taught lessons that are very powerful and permanent, uh, of permanent value for us. Uh, he uh, had denounced the people of his time because their religion had grown formal and cold. Uh, there was no power running through it, uh, no feeling, no authority, no dedication. When that happens, uh, the home begins to disintegrate. And in Malachi's time, as in our time, uh, divorce was common and immorality was rife. Uh, the people did not give to God as they should have given to him. And so the famous text, Will a Man Rob God, uh, comes from that uh, remarkable book in the Old Testament. Uh, they uh, were impatient with God's uh, dealing with them and accused God of not loving them. Uh, and then there are some bright spots that come out from Malachi. He predicts that the Lord will come, and that when he comes, uh, he will winnow out those things that are wrong. By winnowing out, you uh, thrash wheat at that time by taking the grain and throwing it up into the wind, and the wind would blow away the chaff, and the kernels of good grain would fall to the ground. And so Malachi had predicted that a prophet would come. That prophet, John the Baptist, has come. He has announced that Messiah is now on the scene. And he has seen Jesus come to him at the Jordan River. And Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan River. And at that tremendous occasion, a dove comes from heaven as a symbol of the Holy Spirit uh, descending in great power upon the Lord Jesus for the ministry which he is about to inaugurate. And a voice speaks from God saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And uh, this is important for us to remember. Because after the dove comes, symbolizing the power of God, then Jesus will meet with the devil. After a person has dedicated himself to the purposes of God, he may expect conflict to occur. And this is what happens here. Uh, Jesus comes into conflict with Satan. We are told that he is driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, that there he fasts forty days and forty nights. In that period of fasting, what would he be thinking about? He would be thinking about the most important thing in all the world to him, which is what's happening right now in this chapel. In your mind, in your heart, your rejection of Jesus Christ, or your willingness to let him be Lord of your life, and not only here, but all over this whole world, 
today where great events are taking place. Big events. Jesus knows that there are people who will be bored with him. He knows that there are people who will reject his lordship. He knows that there will be murder and horror and destruction and evil. And he is ushering in his kingdom. And so this is what is in his mind and in his heart, and he fasts. He fasts and he prays. And when he fasts and when he prays and the pangs of hunger grip him, there comes the tempter, the devil. And the devil came to him, having heard that voice saying, This is my beloved son. The devil comes and says, If you are, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Satisfy your hunger. If you're the son of God, after all, when the people were led out of Egypt and into the wilderness journey, didn't God visit them and feed them manna at that time? If you're the son of God, and the devil is by a negative, saying he really is the son of God, recognizing who he is. John had testified he is the Son of God. The voice from heaven had testified he is the Son of God. And now the devil will testify he is the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, turn the command these stones to become bread. But Jesus will not use his authority to do things his way. He will do them God's way and will obey God's will. This morning, John King and I had a discussion before church about the Brothers Karamazov. This is a book which he teaches in his literature class. It was called by Sigmund Freud the greatest novel ever written and has so been styled by many great literary critics. It was written by Theodor Dostoevsky, a man who had a profound conversion experience himself and came into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, who, when he writes, uh, puts in his evangelical Christian faith. And so it comes out in one of the great scenes in this particular book, in this novel. The greatest scene, perhaps, in the book is one which you've heard me speak of before, those of you who are here. It's the scene that takes place in Seville, in Spain, before a great cathedral, where, in a legendary scene, Dostoevsky has one of his characters, who is Ivan, who no longer believes in God, who has been to Paris and comes back from Paris, France, to Russia and writes uh, his poem about Christ returning to Seville in Spain.
And of course, he is trying through his poems to make fun of his younger brother, whose name is Alyosha, who is a Christian and a priest. He wants to destroy his brother's faith. And so he paints a scene that occurs uh, in his poem. And he tells that in Seville in Spain, during the time of the Inquisition, when people were persecuted for uh, their faith in uh, Christ, when they differed from what the church was officially teaching. And there is an interesting person. The Grand Inquisitor is a man 90 years old. There's something particularly horrible about an old, evil person. He is not a Stalin or a Hitler, but he is a prince of the church. He is a cardinal. And yet he has given up his faith in Christ. And in the scene which the, the brother paints in his poem, he has Jesus come back amongst his suffering people. And there in the cathedral in Seville, there is a scene in which a little girl, seven years old, has died and is in a white satin coffin. And the people are all weeping, and her mother is terribly broken up with sorrow. Think of what it would mean. We have people in this church today whose hearts are broken because of sorrow. But Jesus has come back, and the people recognize Jesus. And they know he is there. And Jesus stops this procession with the white satin coffin. He looks inside at the little girl who is covered with flowers and holds in her hand a bouquet of white roses. And he speaks the same words that are in Aramaic in the Gospels, Talithi Kumi, little maid, rise. And the little girl comes to life. And the people fall down at the feet of Jesus and they all are full of awe and power. But across the street, this prince of the church is watching, and his eyebrows are knitted and furrowed, and he sees this, and he is disturbed, and he points to some of his guards and points to Jesus, and they go and arrest him, and they take Jesus and put him in a cell. And the Grand Inquisitor who represents the church comes to see him. And in that tremendous scene, he says to Christ, Why did you come back? We had things here like we want them. Why didn't you listen to the great spirit, meaning the devil, there in the wilderness? Why didn't you turn stones into bread? That's all men want is bread. You thought they wanted freedom. You said man should not live by bread alone, but by the will of God, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You were wrong.
Well, what Ivan the Atheist is trying to do is to destroy Alyoshka's faith in Jesus. And Alyoshka says to him, but you have just proved the reverse to be true. You have just proven that Jesus is the Son of God because you have given him this authority. The devil did not win in that scene. And so the church runs a risk. You can be converted or you can be diverted. You can be converted to be what God wants you to be, yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ, or you can be diverted and simply toy around with Christianity. Last week I saw an expensive car on Worth Avenue in Palm Beach. The bumper sticker read this, He who dies with the most toys wins. He who dies with the most toys wins. You can get a lot of toys if you sell cocaine. Our country is plagued with it. And there are people in Colombia who look upon it as their atom bomb to destroy what they hate about America. And you can look at the cover of Newsweek magazine and see the evil empire picture this past week. You can look at the cover of Time magazine and see the struggle with cocaine. You can wonder what it is about this affluent society in which we live that is so terrible that we have to be drugged into oblivion, anesthetized. This past week the phone rang here when I came back. It had been calling for several days. A young man who used to be a student here, not a young man anymore. He served the term in the penitentiary for murder. He had gone into a homosexual lifestyle. He had taken up with a homosexual prostitute who sold his body in order to buy cocaine. And then this young man became jealous of him and stabbed him to death. He went to the penitentiary. He is out of the penitentiary. He called me because he wants to go straight. He cried on the phone. He wept. Is there any hope for me? Yes. The power of Jesus Christ, which can break the power of the devil here, can break the power of the evil that he has been locked into. But whenever the church gets diverted into calling good evil and evil good, then there is confusion. And we are disobedient to God and we offer no powerful salvation. Let me go to the next temptation. This was of the flesh. 
Then the devil took him into the holy city and stood him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will give his angels charge concerning you. Jesus believed in angels. Do you believe in angels? Do you believe that God has given any angels charge concerning you? I do. In fact, I think some of mine have been working overtime uh, through some of the experience that I've been through in life. He gives his angels charge over you. The devil cites scripture to Jesus, but the devil wants him to perform a stunt, to go to the pinnacle of the temple and to leap down from the pinnacle of the temple and to come floating down amongst all the crowds of people and then they'll turn and believe in it. That would be one way to establish your kingdom. Give them all bread if you gave everybody on the planet Earth bread today. They would still fight and kill and rob and steal. The root era of utopianism, of systems like communism, is that it thinks that man unaided by God is perfectible, and he is not. He is not. One crazy man like Adolf Hitler, in 12 years, can see millions of people slaughtered. And yet he was going to build a thousand-year reign. Marx, with his philosophy, was going to have a classless society. Lenin fell into it. Stalin fell into it. And now where are we with all of our genius? And the world about to blow each other up. But we should trust in God. Jesus says here, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. In this instance, Jesus is referring to himself. You will not tempt me. I am the Lord. I do not tempt my Father by wishing to do things other than the way my Father wants them done. And I will, not, I will not do it Satan's way. I won't take a shortcut. We read in our first lesson this morning the 91st Psalm. And this is what is cited and quoted here. And I want, I've got to get my time right, but I want to read you just a little bit of a letter from one of our old missionaries from the Montreat Church, Dr. Nelson Bell. This was written in 1939 on March the 9th. Listen to just a little bit of it because he's going to quote the 91st Psalm and he's going to tell you that he believes in angels. And by the way, I saw this recently on uh, a part of this on uh, film. Uh, there's a new film about Ruth Graham and her experience in China. And uh, it will be released on television and you'll see it. And I remember seeing the building with the American flag painted on it. Beginning the 28th of February, we had an air raid alarm. Many times throughout the day, planes were flying over, most of them dropping bombs all around this section, machine gunning people as they went down the road. I was coming from the clinic, and two planes flew quite low, machine gun people along the right 
uh, side of the road right outside the hospital. The next day the plane started coming while we were at breakfast, sometimes as many as ten at a time. The place shook with the detonation of the bombs, the windows rattled. Most of the days I was at the hospital gate controlling the crowd seeking refuge. With me were Dr. Ken Geezer and Dr. Wood. It was something of a job. It was a hectic day. One plane dropped leaflets warning the nationals of third powers to flee. It was not pleasant, but God permitted it to prove to the people here that we were staying not because of the American flag painted on top of the hospital roof, but because we were trusting in Almighty God and the guardian angels he had all around us. God gave us a sense of complete detachment. We were not scared. He gave us Psalm 91. That's from a man who used to teach from this desk here and used to sit where you sat. You see, God kept him even in the midst of conflict there. And lastly, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, what's the temptation there? It's to do it the devil's way. You can have the kingdoms of Persia, you can have the kingdoms of China, you can have the Roman Empire, you can have all of the Mayan empires, you can have all of the kingdoms of the world. But do it my way. Once in a while I have someone say to me, you may offer the prayer at this occasion, but don't pray in the name of Christ. Well, I'm going to pray in the name of Christ if I pray, or I won't leave it out deliberately. Just do it my way. When Jesus says, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, who in the world is mad enough to come along and say, that's so insensitive to women's issues. Let's pray our parents who are here. Who's God? You or him? Whose prayer is it? Jesus' prayer or your prayer? Who's got the right to edit what he said? This is obedience to God. Jesus said to him, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. He would not do it the devil's way. He will do it God's way. The devil left him. He must have been terribly tired from that experience because he was truly man and truly God, worn out. But he had given all of himself to God, and God blessed him. In closing, I want to tell you an experience. Back to many of you have read Dr. Henrietta Mears' books, and I see John Akers here is always so good and did such a good job last week. Um, the 
distinguished former director of Christian education at the First Presbyterian Church in Hollywood, California, was the founder of the Gospel Light Press. They needed good biblical literature, and the First Church in Hollywood had enough resources to put their own literature together, so she did it, and it bloomed into the Gospel Light Press. Henrietta Mears was an evangelical Christian, remarkable lady, and she used to have a conference for students who came to all those big universities there uh, in that part of California. She had it at Forest Home, and she founded what was called the College Briefing Conference, where they were starting to get ready to go to college, and they wanted to put them on the right track with the Lord, and so a very inspirational youth conference was had. And a minister whom I admired greatly was there with 1,000 college and university students. And he said that at the end of the conference, all the students would get together in what was called the Victory Circle. And they had a big bonfire, and the students would come up to the bonfire with a little piece of wood, and they would place it on the bonfire, and then they would say, some words like, I have made a decision this week for Christ. I have asked Jesus to come into my life. I have surrendered my life to become a missionary. I want to be the Lord's servant. Then they'd throw the little stick representing their life into the bonfire, and then they would come over to a huge book that was pre presided over by Miss Henrietta Mears. She sat there at a book, and then they would sign their names indicating that they had made such a commitment. And by the way, uh, I am told that if you look over that list of names, you can see Billy Graham, you can see uh, uh, Richard Halverson, the chaplain of the Senate, uh, many great, uh, Don Mumaw, the president's pastor, many wonderful people have been converted through that incredible woman's uh, ability through those youth conferences. Many uh, people there. Well, she used to sit there and listen to the uh, testimonies of those who placed their piece of wood on that fire, and then when they would pass by and sign the book, she would give them a good hug or shake their hand. And, and there were people who sometimes wondered if Miss Mears really listened to all of those many students who came forward. And uh, Earl Palmer says that she certainly did and that he could testify because one night he was there and saw this take place. He said he was watching very close, was up close when one student came up to the bonfire and instead of putting in the stick of wood that represented his life, he took a package of camel cigarettes out of his pocket. And he said, this week has meant a great deal to me and I have decided to give these to Jesus Christ. And he threw the camel cigarette package into the fire. And then he started to walk over to sign the book. Well, Henrietta Mears sprang out of her seat and dashed over and reached into the fire and got the package of cigarettes out and stamped them all out. And then she went up to the young man and she said, Jesus Christ doesn't want your cigarettes. He wants you. And the poor guy was shaking like a leaf. And if you ever saw Miss Mears or even a picture of her, she had beautiful twinkling eyes. 
she reached out and grabbed him and hugged him. That made him know that he was accepted, that he just misunderstood. You see, you don't give to Jesus Christ your cigarette, and you give him this, and then you give him that. You give Jesus Christ your life. And then the other things will fall into place. That's the big thing. He wants us to give ourselves completely to him and to his lordship. That's the only way in which the devil is defeated. Someone asked a grand old Negro preacher one time, He said, uh, do you know that you're going to have the victory over the devil? He said, I don't know if I'm going to have the victory, but I know I got the victor living in me. Now that's it. That's conversion. That's not diversion. And it's thou in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for victory that Jesus Christ won at the very beginning of His ministry in the wilderness. Not in a beautiful garden, but in a desert. In the midst of hunger and pain. And yet, He found in Thee all the resources that are still available to us. We thank Thee that Jesus Christ won the victory. And now, Lord, we bless thee that we seek to enter more fully into that victory and to truly allow the victor to live in our lives and to use us to his glory. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father in the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with us all, now and forevermore.